0: And we're still
4: talking about revolution.
0: Hello and
3: welcome to the Do Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And a warning that there will be audio, or there may be, and will be audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died. Coming up on the show, we have, first of all, we're going to be interviewing Cecilia Blackwell, who is a non-Aboriginal co-chair of the Friends of Mile Creek National Committee, alongside Keith Monroe. And Keith Monroe is is an Indigenous um, contributor and, and chair... Uh, sorry, Indigenous contributor, and he's also part of the committee as well. And he'll be um, working with us and being interviewed next Monday. So we'll be speaking with with Cecilia first about Mile Creek. Every year, there is a commemoration over the long weekend, and the commemoration talks looks at the, the collaboration and commemoration of people that have been massacred in Mile Creek. And I'll give an introduction about that in just a second. After that, we'll be speaking with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. And we'll be speaking to him about a further suicide at Villawood Detention Centre. We've interviewed Ian quite a few times on this show. And then after that, we will speak with um, Brett Collins from Justice Action. And he's going to be talking to us about a win that's happened. And we certainly don't have a lot of wins um, in prisons at all. Each year, hundreds of people from across the country gather on the Sunday of the June long weekend to commemorate the unprovoked massacre of at least 28. Wirra Yarras women, children and old men by a group of stockmen on Mile Creek Station in 1838. The Mile Creek Memorial on the Barra Baradilunga Road near Baringa was erected in June 2000 by a group of Aboriginal and non-Indigenous people working together in an act of reconciliation. In 2008, the massacre site and memorial were included on in the National Heritage Register and also received New South Wales state heritage List- listing in 2010. And we've interviewed quite a lot of people over the years. We've interviewed Arnie Noly, who has spoken to us uh, about her her contributions in terms of working with a lot of literature that that she has compiled in terms of stolen generation and she was a speaker one year and we've interviewed Keith and we're going to be interviewing him again next Monday and and now we're going to be speaking with Cecilia and the lovely Joe has um has organized all this for us so pretty soon and shortly I will have Cecilia correct me on some of the mispronunciations that I may have made about the lands of the Indigenous people. But pretty soon, we will speak, be speaking with her specifically about Mile Creek. Stay tuned.
4: You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR.
1: The mental health system in Victoria is currently undergoing transformational reform. And for the first time, these reforms centre people with lived experience of mental health challenges in the design and delivery of the new system. So how do we then ensure that lived experience engagement is genuine and not tokenistic? And what are some of the structural changes that need to occur to encourage people with a lived experience to want to participate? These are some of the questions we will be exploring in this year's Wellways Public Lecture on Thursday, May 26 at the Wheeler Centre. The keynote speaker is Debbie Hamilton, a systemic mental health advocate. In the evening will also include a panel discussion with lived experience and governance experts and the launch of Vimiac's Consumers Leading in Governance pilot program. This is a free event, but bookings are essential. To book your ticket to the in-person event or online stream, visit lecture.wellways.org and follow the links to the booking page. That's lecture.wellways.org. Wellways supports 3CR.
3: And you're back with the Doin' Time Show and I would really like to welcome Cecilia and give her a warm welcome to the Doin' Time Show. Hello, welcome to the program.
4: Hi, Marissa. Thanks very much for allowing me the time to speak with you. It's lovely to have you and thank you so much for coming on at short notice. All good.
3: Now, Cecilia, you are um, the co-chair alongside Keith Munro of the committee, is that right? That's correct. Great. Now, could, would you be able to just talk about what is what happened with this this massacre for Mole Creek? It's always good, isn't it, to commemorate that every year, and each year I actually have a special broadcast to honour the people that have been massacred and also their descendants. Yep. So I'm wondering, could you just give a little bit of background about what, what happened and what the weekend will be about?
4: So you mean what happened back in 1838? Yes, yes. Okay, so basically there was um, uh, uh, an intentional attack made on a peaceful Aboriginal camp, mainly women, children and several older men, the young men who were all away um, either stick-picking or doing something on another property. So it was a planned attack. It was really savage. People were rounded up by men on horseback, threatened, um, ultimately moved to the stockyards and basically killed there. And following that, they tried to dispose of the evidence by burning. And I guess that's that's the horrible part of the story. And it's a part of the story that's happened in so many different places around Australia. Um, it, it's not... Um, That's not the unique event. What's particularly unique about the Mile Creek incident is that it was reported. It was reported to the authorities and it was investigated and as a result, there were 12 perpetrators. Seven of those perpetrators were actually hanged in Sydney after two trials. That's basically the the events back then. Um, It's all on the milecreek.org website if people want to have a look at the of more detail and what's what's happened is over the years back in 1988 there was a 150 year memorial held that I wasn't involved in at that stage I wasn't in the New England area and following that in the late 20th century there was a meeting that I believe was organized by a group of church people including um Ivan Roberts, who was a minister at the time, and Aunt Susie Blacklock, and a whole lot of other people. Sorry that I can't um, That's okay. name in detail. And it was decided that it was really important to... And, sorry, some of the people there were actually descendants of the perpetrators and descendants of the um, the um, survivors. There were a couple of young people who survived that event. And so this was the whole reconciliation aim was to remember, to tell the truth and to memorialise. And it went ahead from that very, very small beginning with the um, ongoing support of uh, people like, um, as I say, Aunt Susie and a whole lot of other people, some government people. But again, I wasn't around then. I don't know that early history sure. as well as some of our old members. I've only been a co-chair since last year, so I'm also fairly new to the to that role. Um, does that address what you wanted me to say yes absolutely <laughs> and it's not even about what I want you to say it's 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 really more about
3: you know just just about the massacre because it is important for for listeners to know that there was a massacre and and that, oh, absolutely isn't it and you know I've actually interviewed a couple uh, professor Lyndall Ryan a couple of times yes as well and wonderful has done wonderful work indeed and we've talked a lot about the digital map that has been um, produced. They've done a lot of yes. work, the researchers, haven't they? And to, to let people know that it isn't just about Mole Creek, that
4: massacres That's were right. a widespread problem. And there were so many. Every time I meet with Aboriginal people right around the East Coast, I haven't been all around Australia, everyone says, but for all the ones that, that um, Lyndall Ryan has mapped, there are so many more that have gone, un, uh, have gone invisible because there were no survivors. There were no Absolutely. Reports.
3: I think what what I find really powerful, and
4: please let me know if
3: if you agree, it's more about, I saw, I think it might have been on SBS a couple of years ago now, where the descendants of the perpetrators and the survivors were all
4: together in one place during a memorial weekend. Absolutely. No, that that's that's a key part. That that's what I was saying. It's a key part of the reconciliation, that each year we have representatives from both groups meet at and during the ceremony, they acknowledge the past and and look forward to a very different future. It's very very moving. It's very special.
3: It is very special. And
4: so, can you tell us, give
3: us some information? I know there's a Zoom event and there's also a non. Zoom event and talk about what
4: date it's on, what time, where, and who the speaker sure. is. Sure. Um, so so the, it's the June long weekend. So this year we've actually got a, a fundraiser concert on the Saturday afternoon in Mingra. All of this information is on the milecreek.org website. And um, that concert's from 3 till 5. Then the following day from 9am down at the um, Mile Creek uh, CWA Hall, Which is signposted. Um, We meet there, and then we go up the hill to the um, the new stage two uh, arena, where we have um, a ceremony of welcome, smoking, dance, and then following that we go down to the memorial site itself and have um, more more ceremony. Yeah. And our guest speaker this year is Uncle Jimmy Miller, who is James, I think I should say. Um, James Miller, who is, uh, has been an academic, an Aboriginal academic and um, curator and reporter of all these different things for many years. He was at the event in um, 1988, the 150th anniversary, I saw in the notes. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him yet, but I'm really looking forward to that. Um No, there's something else I thought of. Sorry, it's gone out of my head. I'll come back, hopefully. That's okay. And what land is he from? I believe he's from a a particular clan here. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have that detail with
3: me. Here we go. I've got it right here. And I I think it's Grungay clan of the Wanara people.
4: My pronunciation is not very good, I'm afraid no nora's mine. The actual... <laughs> um, I actually have done a lot of teaching up at Sumula and Binger on the Queensland border with the with, with Gamaloro people, and trying to get my tongue around Bingo is really hard. I'm too you hard know, to manage the flexibility. Don't you worry.
3: Look, I'm going to be speaking with Keith Munro next week, who's, also, who's the Indigenous co-chair, isn't he? And That's we'll correct. have a look. We'll, we'll talk more about the lands and what's going on there. Anyway, we've, yep, we've put correct. a lot in context today, anyway, in my intro. But tremendous. Just for listeners, the benefit of listeners, Keith Munro is actually the grand, grandson of Uncle Lyle Munro Senior, isn't it? That's right. Yep, he surely is. So we're going to be having part two of the Mile Creek series... Um, on the radio show here, and he'll be speaking in a lot more detail. But it's so lovely to have you, Cecilia. Is there any other
4: comments you wanted to make in terms of your work um, on the committee? Uh, Again, just the the importance of recognising that the best thing that we can do. And I think it's been repeated so many times. In I watch NITV a lot and listen to our radio national up here, because I don't get Melbourne. <laughs> um, yeah. And the importance of recognising what the truth of what's happened in the past and reaching out and recognising each other as people, that we have shared values, shared needs and a shared vision of the future that, that we need to make different to what we've had particularly in terms of our Indigenous people. I've got a mental health background as well as uh, other things. That's right. And I think it's fantastic
3: that the massacre sites were included on the National Heritage Register.
4: Absolutely. It is really important. I've I've done a fair bit of reading about um, just generally the the processes afterwards and one of the books that I read was actually saying that after the um, events at Mile Creek and after the courts, there was such a white backlash that the um, government people weren't actually going to to, um, prosecute after any of the further massacres. They weren't going to prosecute? They wouldn't, they wouldn't prosecute after there was such a white backlash in Sydney and around um, the Hunter after the court case, after yep. they were found guilty and they were hanged, mm-hmm. that the, 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 um, the documents I've read said they would not uh, risk because they were worried there'd be an insurrection, a revolution. Well, maybe some, there should be a revolution. Well, maybe. Well, we've sort of got it in small doses. And following our election changes, you know, who knows what's next. What's, what's your opinion on the election? What, what's, your, what's, what's your opinion on the election well, result? Well, I, the, the only thing that I've really heard um, was, um, sorry, <laughs> Albanese's acknowledgement that he's going to recognise the Uluru Statement and um, get on with recognising in the Constitution. That was this morning, his talk this morning. That's fantastic,
3: and i'm I'm really hoping that there's going to be a treaty as well that there, I know in Victoria there's a lot of work being happening um, in terms of having a treaty, and I'm hoping that the federal government makes a commitment to treaty.
4: He, in the bit of the talk that I heard, I didn't I didn't hear him mention the treaty, but I, but I agree. I mean we're the only nation in the world that hasn't had a treaty with its its original owners. It's most embarrassing really
3: it is really embarrassing uh, embarrassing to okay them. well this is no this worries. is great um, so just can you just tell us the website
4: again of where yep. people can have a mile look at it to have a, go on milecreek.org that's it you'll bring it up and so it's got the story it's got the events it's got the opportunity for membership so we have paid membership of the organization named nice. of mile creek and we have um you know paying contributions for people who can afford to join it pay a fee great okay so have a look on that website um, and see
3: if people can rock up to to commemorate um, the massacre the massacre the mile creek massacre on country and it's on the sunday of the june long the weekend 12th, 12th of june the 12th of june and there will be directions um for that, yep, and then absolutely. you've got morning tea and lunch, and the smoking the smoking ceremony morning absolutely. there. Absolutely, I believe Correct. it starts at nine a.m., doesn't it, on Sunday?
4: Yes, that's right.
3: Lovely. I hear it's it, Mole
4: Creek Hall Reserve, Creek yes, Road, Mulle right. Creek. Is that right? That's it. Yeah, and it is signposted, like um, Gladestar. With thanks to Gladestar Council, our local council of that area, the place. Nice. So, okay, hard to miss. <laughs>
5: Wonderful. And, well, well, thank well, you, well, thank
3: you so much. much. You dropped out no for worries. a minute. We're just about finished.
4: I, I did warn you that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all Thanks good. Thanks very much. You are amazing. Yes. Thank you so much, Cecilia. I enjoyed your cuddle. we'll talk soon. You, you have a good day. Bye. Take care.
3: Bye-bye. Thank
1: you, listeners. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio eight five five
3: am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio.
0: The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away, here or overseas. It gives me hope, seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed!
1: You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. is a not-for-profit community health organisation providing health and support services in Melbourne. In late 2021, CoHealth facilitated a workshop for women from diverse cultural backgrounds on effective communication skills for social and professional settings. Positive outcomes for workshop participants were collaborative discussions in safe spaces and onward access to support services. To learn more about our services and programs, visit cohealth.org.au. CoHealth is a 3CR supporter. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep community strong.
3: And previously, you just heard an interview with Cecilia Blackwell, who is from the Mile Creek Committee and she's the non-Indigenous co-chair. It's approximately 4.20 and you're listening to the Do and Time show and coming up on the show we're going to be speaking now with Ian Rintel who is from the Refugee Action Coalition and there have been a number of suicides in Villawood Detention Centre and there's been a new suicide to date. Hello Ian, welcome to the program.
6: Yeah, hi Marissa. Lovely
3: to have you. Can Thanks. you tell us what's been going on Ian, give us a bit of an update?
6: Well, I mean, t- t- tragically, we've seen you know another suicide in Villawood, a young uh, New Zealand woman, um, not been in detention very long, perhaps six months, but uh, yeah, it took her took her own life. Uh, she's at least the second. Uh, there was an Iranian man in uh, March, late March, uh, who you know committed suicide in Villawood, and we've seen a number, not that they've all been you know documented, uh, but there have been a number of very serious attempted. Uh, suicides, um, and I can let people know uh, that I've just heard this afternoon that there's been a very serious attempted at suicide in you know in Mitre. So it's not just Villawood, you know, that we're seeing you know this epidemic of you know self harm and suicide and suicide attempts. That actually it is something which is happening across the detention regime in Australia.
3: It, it really is dreadful, isn't it? And so this New Zealand woman was. There's a video clip. Is there about this?
6: Uh, yes, there's a number of there's a, there are a number of clips um, that um, not that they show you know the the, the oh. you know the woman, but the same the same uh, it, it shows the police, it shows you know sort of the body being removed from you know from Villawood. Wood, um, but I think the story is very similar. You know, there's a whole experience of you know mental distress inside the detention centre, history of uh, abuse at the hands of the hands of the guards. Uh, this woman took her own life. Um, Shortly after, there had been, you know, well, they're, they're routine room searches. I mean, even though they're not meant to be, retu- re- they're not meant to be routine, uh, they're meant to only be done if there's, this, you know, a reasonable suspicion that there's contraband in the rooms. But the border force uses those, that reasonable suspicion as an excuse to do, uh, re- you know, routine, you know, room searches. Uh, they found nothing, but uh, I don't, I don't think it's coincidence that she, you know, took a life shortly after being subjected to that you know, to the room search. But the, you know, the other thing that people have said is that she clearly did have mental problems. Uh, She should never have been in detention. People can't get mental health in detention. It's the detention which, you know, <laughs> creates the mental distress on any, anything else that they may have already been you know, been suffering. But, um, you know, people had remonstrated with guards, with border force, you know, independently of, the, of this woman saying she shouldn't be here, she needs help. Um, she so obviously needed help. Um, and uh, But, um, you know, she, she's taken her own life.
3: Absolutely. And, and in fact, you, you mentioned also that there was a, a, an attempted suicide at uh,
6: major, major as well yes that's right there's a theory, there's another serious suicide attempt and it was just a fluke again that you know someone was you know on the spot and then able to you know prevent this person from uh, from hanging but um you know that's <laughs> you know it's becoming the experience when this happens even the attempts you know like people are traumatized by the by the attempts it goes through not just the people who may have been you know immediately on the you know on the spot and that's you know it's something that's just you know horrendous to experience but everyone in the detention center you know feels you know the consequences when you know someone else you know takes their takes their life and i think in in particular you know now that we've got you know a labor government you know I think we need to put push as hard as we can to get, you know, like a very serious review uh, into the you know, immigration detention regime and into, the, you know, Section 501. I mean, now, you know, around 80% of people who are in immigration detention are there because visas have been cancelled, often, for, you know, because of relatively trivial offences. People have, you know, they've... Being convicted, they've done the time. They should be released into the community. It is, a, it is just a complete breach of natural justice and anything that resembles justice. That the immigration act can be used to punish people uh, in in you know in a greater way, in greater measure than uh, the uh, than the, the criminal justice system.
3: Yeah, at least in prison you serve your time and you get
6: out. That's right, and you're not subjected to the arbitrary abuse. I mean, however horrendous prison. You know, prison is. You know, when you're getting out, there are there are rules governing how you can be punished. Uh, there is, you know, some oversight and measures that can be taken um, if you are subject to assault or if you're charged. You know, under the rules inside a prison, none of that exists inside the immigration detention. You're at the you're at the whim of you know, of circle officers who are able to put you in solitary confinement, uh, able to subject you to behavioural management, you know, regimes, you know, on on their whim, and there's no no accountability. You know, to those things, people are assaulted. Uh, we had a recent uh, sexual assault of you know, four guards of a young woman in in Mida. Where um, do you go? The state police don't want to know about it. The federal police say it's a state police matter. You know, the people make complaints to the ABF. Uh, ABF write back and says we've investigated this and consider the case closed. Where Where do you go?
3: Indeed, and on the, I believe that on the twenty sixth of March, um, an Iranian asylum seeker committed suicide in the Villawood Detention Centre. And then and then there was another one on the the 22nd of April.
6: Oh, that well, was an yeah. attempt in the attempt, attempt, Yes, I mean, I, th- I do think there's one other suicide that I didn't have time to, <laughs> to sure. nail down, uh, Marissa. But uh, what I've dealt with, I think, is uh, we know definitely on the 26th of March, then, uh, you know, this, this uh, young woman yesterday and... Um, and there there is a series I mean I't I know the ones in, uh, in you know in April uh, the, you know and, and there's been others in others in May uh, that you know that we can document uh, and of course of course that the government and Sturko, you know, actually know about those things are documented but they were serious enough uh, the you know two of the incidents in in Villawood uh, that people were actually hosp- hospitalized you know one for several days another one for you know, almost two weeks so we're looking at very serious <laughs> injuries that they inflicted on themselves in the uh, with those you know with those suicide attempts. So I mean it's one of the reasons I mean if this was happening in any other facility that was run by the you know the Commonwealth government or by a state government, uh, there would be an outcry. There would be call, there would be a call for there to be an investigation into, you know, the, the the regulation and the governance of this of this place. Um, you know, we've not heard that yet, even though uh, you know the 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 Commonwealth, um, you know, Work Health and Safety people have actually charged uh, Serco and IHMS as a result of a of a, uh, a refugee actually uh, suiciding in 2019. They're already facing charges as a result of that suicide in 2019. We're now. You know, 2022. We've not seen any investigation of why the regime which failed that man in 2019. Why nothing has changed? Uh, in fact, you know, there's every indication that it's got it's got worse.
3: Look, we've had a collapse of the Medivac bill. And we had a backroom deal there. Then we had the pandemic, and now we've got a, a, a new government. I don't have a lot of faith in the in the the, in the parliamentary process but uh, what, what's your, what do you feel about the election results and how do you
6: think that's going to impact on refugees? Well, I mean, it's great that we've seen the end of Morrison. I don't think you won't find anyone who doesn't think it's good to see the back, the back of exactly. Morrison. Um, for refugees, the immediate thing, people who are on TPVs and on Chefs because you know, the, the, the previous government would only give refugees temporary visas. They've spent nine years not being able to get family reunions, separated from their families, not being able to study, having to renew visas every six months with no security, etc. Those people are going to get permanent visas, That's one thing Labor will do. The family in Biloela will go back to Biloela. But the truth is that there are, you know, many more thousands who are on bridging visas, who are on on, uh, expired uh, visas, Uh, the people who are in detention itself, that Labor... Is committed to the same policies that we saw under the coalition. So, as much as we want, you know, to celebrate the end of Morrison, I think we need to be very clear that we continue. We will have a fight with this, with the Labor government, to actually free the refugees, to see the kind of review and the removal of the discriminatory race section 501, to get the people out of Nauru and Papua New Guinea. Um, we've got a fight with this, with the Labor government.
3: Absolutely. Now, just one final question, which is a burning question, actually, that I've been wanting to ask you. What is a New Zealand woman doing in detention?
6: Well, Dave, New Zealand has formed the biggest minority they're the they're the biggest single group who are in uh, in detention uh, because people who come here many of people believe that they're because they're able to come so easily from uh, visa-free it seems from New Zealand to Australia but the truth is that they don't understand that all of them only have a temporary visa uh, that they may be able oh, to it. travel without that yeah and, and and that temporary visa does not give them permanent residency rights in fact to get permanent residency rights they have to make a very particular application it certainly doesn't doesn't make them citizens, so you have a very large group of people th- who believe they have the same rights as australians in in Australia they don't the section five o one allows those visas to be cancelled in the same way as it allows it to if you're you know an Afghan or Iraqi or a, you, know, you know, or a Sri Lankan. Uh, you they're regarded as a a non you know, a non a non citizen. So that temporary visa that um is is formally what New Zealanders have when they come from New Zealand uh, to Australia is what is cancelled and people who uh sometimes on character grounds, sometimes because they fall foul of the law. Um I said so the biggest grouping of people who are deported from Australia to New Zealand are deported for drug offences, not the you know, Mr Biggs of the You know, 200 kilograms of cocaine, uh, they, because the people are sentenced to. 12 months, and sometimes they might be two or three, you know, small drug offences. But you know, guess what I'm saying is that the vast majority of people who are caught by section 501 are not the Mr Bigs, they're not the paedophiles, you know that oh. you know Peter Dutton used to like to talk about, uh, you know, being an example of how you know 50 section 501 or immigration detention was keeping the Australian community safe. Uh, they've been guilty of relatively minor offences, and uh, but the New Zealanders are the biggest single group. Uh, who in, in 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 detention at the moment? Because under the existing regulations of 501, if people are uh, sentenced for you know 12 months or more, uh, then their visa is automatically cancelled. So you're looking at some type, you know, you know 40 people a month are coming out of prison uh, potentially to going into immigration detention.
3: Thank you for clearing that up about the New Zealand, because I you know it, it's good for listeners to know that, Ian.
6: Well, too many New Zealanders don't know it. <laughs> yes, and people just assume because they came here when they were two or three that they're Australian citizens or permanent residents. You know, they're not. Absolutely. Yeah, Ian, thanks, thank Marissa. You, yeah.
3: Thank you so much for coming onto the program. Um, before you go, yeah. um, just wanted to, to just clarify to listeners that we weren't just talking about, um, you know, asylum seekers and refugees here. It was, it was also another... Another group, wasn't it? Who that, they're still. That's right. Do you know what I'm saying? Whether whether yeah. the, the visas were cancelled,
6: correct? Yes, 80% of the people who are in immigration detention are not boat arrivals. They're not yeah. they're not refugees or asylum seekers. They are people whose visas have been cancelled either <laughs> under section 501 or under section 116. So they're non non citizens, and that's what. Yeah. That's, yeah, allows the the, uh, the minister to cancel the visa, but it remains a discriminatory and racist section of the yeah. Migration Act. Uh, every bit as uh, you know, disgusting and uh, uh, you know, and and, um, you know, and and racist, discriminatory as the government's policy to asylum seekers and refugees. But they are still distinct, just as bad. Yeah, still as bad, and a distinct you know grouping of uh, grouping of people, which also I have to say catches. Also, asylum seekers and refugees, their visas are being cancelled, uh, as you know, as well. But um, you know, the but uh, you know, 501 is a, a particular section. People need to become more aware of it because, as I said, we've got 80% of the people in immigration detention now are caught by this section 501. They're, they're brutally treated in the same way as asylum seekers and refugees. You know, people may understand that that better, but they're just as brutally treated as asylum seekers, and refugees in detention.
3: Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Okay,
6: thanks, mister yep, Thanks bye a bye. lot. Bye-bye.
3: Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 5.5am on digital and
1: online. 3CR Radical Radio.
3: back with the doing time show and we have brett collins from justice action coming up and apparently there's been a win in sa in south australia hello brett welcome to the program
2: yes hello marissa certainly has been a battle down in south australia (laughs) talk to me what's what's happening well, look, the, the newspaper, the only newspaper that gets out to people in detention, which is called Just Us, it's, um, we printed 50,000 copies and every commissioner except South Australia actually was engaged and accepted the paper. And um, and so we printed and, and sent out, distributed to uh, all the other states and territories, uh, one per prisoner. So in Victoria, every prisoner should have had. A, a copy of the newspaper, um, and even the Victorian Commissioner, um, she actually made a, a statement in the in the newspaper. So it was uh, quite important that the newspaper itself actually get properly distributed. The intention is that it allows uh, everyone an in intention to actually read what the political parties say to them, deliberately prepared so that um, you know the Greens, the Liberal Party, the Labor Party, all the parties, so the whole I think about eight or ten of them, um, all contribute to the paper to say why people in detention in prisons in locked hospitals where they are and what why they should vote for their party so the newspaper went in and um, except for South Australia in South Australia um, that's where we went to the Supreme Court and that a serious battle
3: absolutely so so what you what what does that mean in practice and that means that prisoners in New South Wales only right can receive newspapers
2: well, prisons in New South Wales, but also Victoria and um, Queensland, um, Western Australia, Northern Territory, so Tasmania. H-
3: how, how does that work?
2: Well, look, the newspaper's been, um, it's been running since about 2004. So every federal election and some state elections too, we've prepared uh, a newspaper where um, all the political parties have been asked, now, why should a person in detention, a prisoner or somebody in a locked hospital, why should they vote for you? And then we've uh, thrown up a theme, and the theme for this particular paper, paper is access to law. So as access to law, what, what does the um, Liberal Party say about access to law for people in prison? And so we, we respond, got responses from all the political parties, and also we got statements from the prison commissioners as well. So what we're trying to do is make sure that the newspaper itself is actually covered by the constitutional entitlement to be informed. And then that gives the basis for the, the newspaper to actually enter every prison, you know, even if the commissioners don't particularly want to have it, right? So so there's um, quite a long um, series of, of legal battles it's been to the Supreme Court three times. And on the third time, we went before the um, New South Wales Supreme Court uh, uh, on the question about whether the of hospital, that's the mental health detainees, whether they were allowed to um, receive the paper. And we took $5,000 um, from the health department here in New South Wales. And, um, and since that time, we've been driving forward um, until um, just last, uh, last week, uh, where we had a, a serious battle in, in South Australia and had um, a magnificent set of lawyers um, uh, battling for us Uh, There was a a very large uh, firm called Allen's, um, who, who have already defended the prisoner's right to vote in a very important um, uh, a case that was run about um, about 2007 behind a woman called Vicky Roach, an Aboriginal woman serving a sentence um, uh, uh, called Vicky Roach. And that case was won. And Alan said, look, we think this is important too. We'll come in behind you on the on the right for prisoners to receive the newspaper, um, uh, giving information to them about how they should vote. And so we had the... Um, lawyer, legal firm, and we also had this um, uh, top uh, QC um, or senior counsel actually, uh, called Bernard O'Leary and some, um, uh, sorry Damon O'Leary, and he actually led our team. and, and we went in on uh, uh, on Friday before last, before the Supreme Court, and then finally got a settlement. The other side backed down and they allowed the newspaper to go in, albeit all with a few redactions in the paper. But most importantly, we've got it in.
3: That's fantastic. So with the newspaper, that's actually specifically the prison newspaper, does that mean that prisoners make contributions of articles in those
2: papers? Absolutely. Look, every prisoner should have received a copy. So after after what had happened, um, we now have agreements from all the commissioners from all every state and territory that a copy of just us that right. it should be given to everyone. So everyone has distributed, every every commissioner told us how many prisoners there were in every jail on yeah. Port Phillip and, and um, every jail, Barwon, every jail was actually... Right. And we were given numbers on each of the jails and we sent out to each of the governors of the jails um, a statement about the agreement we had with the commissioners and um, and that was distributed. As I say, only, the only state that refused was South Australia and we went into battle with them and we came through, which was um, such an important victory. Uh, Although, as I say, we we had some things which were removed from the paper before it went in. Uh, So we actually even had to do a reprint of the paper, especially for South Australia, but we did that. You mean censorship? um uh, well, absolutely, it was. It was pretty outrageous, actually. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you realise what they took out, we had um, on page two there was uh, a, an advertisement there from an organisation called Justice Reform Initiative, which is um, like such a significant organisation. They yeah. have, um, as yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> it's um, they have two um, uh, governors general, former governors general, um, Quentin Bryce, and and um, a former uh, high court judge, um, William Dean, like two I mean fed Ingham, um and they came in behind this and um, their motto which is the motto that says Jailing is failing. <laughs> Jailing is oh, failing. And, and, they took it out? They, and they took it out, they said, Well they said and they said well listen to this one. Um, this is from the this is from the uh, commissioner himself, uh, David Brown. He said, In my opinion the document contains provocative inflammatory material that may inflame or incite unrest amongst prisoners, or otherwise could inspire conflict. And it says, um, amongst it, it has references among a document to jailing is failing. Another thing they took out was jailbreak prison radio. They said, no, no, you can't have words like jailbreak in it.
0: <laughs> oh,
3: no. Well, that really smacks historically, doesn't it, of uh, you know what, what used to happen in convict days.
2: Well, that's right. Look, I think that, look, I think um, they've made a fool of themselves in this whole process. Uh, yeah. They also took out they took out all the uh, contact points. So, for example, there was something. Um, uh, some uh, NGOs had actually put advertisement in there, they, and they allowed the advert itself, but re- refused to allow the contact points because they said it's, it's um, it was uh, giving uh, prisoners contact with non-prisoners.
3: <laughs> oh... But it's good that the newspapers have gone in, that's a big win, but it, really we do need to watch this space, don't we, for censorship, ongoing censorship, don't
2: we? Absolutely. Well, look, we, we, um, we've got uh, a few lessons to teach the, um, the administrators and if we, uh, we don't mind, we've, um, the, the journey will be a, um, a long and solid one, but uh, we're definitely in the right. So the right to be informed is basic and the right also to have um, uh, access to digital contacts and things like that. We actually raised that, and they said, no, 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 no. Um, you can't encourage people to think they have a right um, to access the law through computers and things like that. You can't take that out. We have to take that out. So that was also removed in South Australia. Oh so there are you know, definitely some buts to be had yet.
3: There's, look, it's good that the newspaper's in, and it's actually creating community within prisons, but there's still a long way to go. But it is good. It's a bit of a win.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Look, we, we, um, we see it as a resounding win, actually, because the, the right to enter was important. I mean, the fact is that we had such a legal team um, that, um, that the other side would have lost. It just came down to, um, you know, were we prepared to um, and run a hearing where it could have been a, a little bit uncertain in some spaces. So we thought, now, better to settle. Uh, we have a guaranteed win. It means the newspaper has gone nationally to every person in detention. So we're very proud of that. It's a major success.
3: How can people get in touch if they want to get hold of the newspaper?
2: Look, if they if they send them a, a, a letter to us, so it's um, 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 Justice Action, uh, PO Box three eight six, Broadway two double so, um, uh, o seven. So PO Box three eight six, Broadway, New South Wales two double o seven, and um, we will send them a copy and um, and, uh, and send them a note as well.
3: Brett, thank you so much for coming onto the program.
2: Lovely. Have a lovely okay, evening. So-
3: and we'd yeah, love to. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have you back soon.
2: Okay. Thank you, Mercer. Lovely to speak with you again. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye bye.
5: Day. Salamaya Maya,
3: me a big lift. Um, what a beautiful song. And you're back with the Doing Time show. We're nearing the end of our show, but I wanted to make a very important announcement. Radiothon is coming up at 3CR. And basically, we need um, funds to keep our station on air for the coming 12 months. And this year's theme is Keep Community Strong. And the Radiothon will be, will be happening... Um, this month, and I believe it starts um, next week, I think. And basically, I'm preparing for our show, um, which will be... The Doing Time show will actually be um, on the 13th of June over a long weekend. And our target is $850. Now, there's been a lot... You know, a lot of lot of um, things going on. We've had a lot of natural disasters. We've had the floods. We've had the fires. Over the last couple of years, we've had the pandemic. And it's been a real challenge to do all radio shows, obviously. And during lockdowns, there was a lot of remote programming and still is, I think. And now it's, it's going to 2022 and the Do and Time show is still going strong. Being quite under-resourced um, as well in terms of financial support um, for the radio for the for the show. Last year we did not meet our target. We only got up to seven hundred and forty. Now normally this show always meets its target, but I think last year two thousand and twenty-one, I think the pandemic really took its toll, and and indeed. You know, a lot of the communities that I that I interview, you know, we've got your, our Indigenous communities, we've got, obviously, um, prison communities as well, where really there's not much money. So I'm wondering if people can start thinking about donating now. It is tax deduct- deductible, no matter how small your donation is. Um, please donate to the doin Time Show. We really need the funds. Nine four one nine. 8377 and I'm wondering if you could just look at that look at that and and dig deep and see what can be done. Um, We are having as I said our show on the 13th of June and please donate to all shows at 3CR we really do need that and we do need to keep communities strong and um, our show has really made it extremely important to really have a look at some of the inequalities and injustices that have happened, not just as a result of the pandemic, but also about some of the far-reaching consequences of how asylum seekers and refugees have been affected, and all about the violations of human rights, the extensive police powers that have happened, and also in regards to um, you know, things that you wouldn't normally hear on other radio stations or TV and other mainstream media. Looking at people that have been deprived of a voice and marginalised communities, they all find their way to the Do and Time Show. And that also includes, of course, Aboriginal elders. Um, the Do and Time Show has really paid particular attention over the last three years um, in regards to what's been happening with Aboriginal massacres looking at the stolen generation and giving you up-to-date, concise information on um, what what was happening with the pandemic and how um, communities have been affected. I know that this is not my radiothon show yet, but I really felt that it was terribly important to really kick-start the radiothon today, given that, you know, there are quite a lot of impoverished communities and we certainly did not meet our target last year and we want to keep this show going. So, yeah, just wanted to put out a very, very special um, announcement today for that to happen. And there are a couple of ways that you can donate, nine four one nine eight three double seven. contact the station, or you can donate online, www.3cr.org.au. I know that, there, that there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of financial hardship um and and a lot of difficulties and challenges that we've all experienced over many years but when you really look at it those hardships would be completely doubled for people in prison it is com- that would be completely doubled for um Aboriginal people um particularly people that are homeless as well and i did um do quite a few interviews about the violations of human rights for um, for people that, that have been homeless as a result of the pandemic. And what a dreadful thing that was. Um, it's approximately 4.52 and we've got a couple of minutes left of our show. I wanted to thank all our guests for coming onto the show today. wanted to thank um, Cecilia Blackwood for coming on um, to talk about Mile Creek. We'll be interviewing um, Keith Munro, who's the Aboriginal... Um, National Mile Creek Committee member, sorry, co-chair as well. For next Monday, he'll be coming on at four o'clock. He was ill today, so he wasn't able to join us. But he'll be giving us some more detailed and more extensive information about the Mile Creek Massacre and talk about the event coming up. Today was just a bit of an introduction. And thank you also to Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. Um, Ian is, has been instrumental in giving us very concise updates about refugees and asylum seekers, and, um, and we've also interviewed refugees themselves over the years. And then after that, thanks to Brett Collins from Justice Action, who has been a really strong and staunch advocate as far as um, prisoners are concerned, and... Um, and has, has represented um, and advocated on behalf of prisoners and also people in mental health facilities. Um, yeah, and also just to, to let you know as a concluding thing that the Do Time show has also um, commemorated a lot of anniversaries of Indigenous elders and activist activists that have died, and we have um, done quite a lot of extensive work We've also done a lot of work in terms of um, looking at raising the criminal age for for children um, in in prisons, and not just Indigenous children, but also non-Indigenous. But of course, we all know that Aboriginal people have been overrepresented in terms of incarceration rates, and of course. Um, we've been doing a lot of work also on building the movement to stop Aboriginal deaths in custody. And we cover inquests and court cases um, quite extensively on this show. So, yeah, I'm hoping that people pick up the phone, 94198377, to donate to the Doin' Time show and donate to all shows at 3CR. And I'm hoping that we can, um, can honour that theme of keeping communities strong in this year 2022 so coming up on the show next is climate action and it's goodbye from marissa and stay tuned every monday from four or five for the doings time show tune in next monday for the second part of the series of the mile creek massacre and commemorating that and that is what the broadcast next monday will be dedicated to and are sending out a cheerio to Keith Munro to get well soon, and we'll speak to you next Monday. Thanks a lot, and stay strong and take care of each other. Bye.
0: Are real.